Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here with us today. Shane Seegers is joining me. He, if you haven't met Shane yet, he's got an incredible gift in teaching. And every Thursday uh, morning, uh, we go through my outline together, uh, Shane and I and a couple other staff people, just to make sure everything's clear. And on this one, Shane had, man, as we're going through this outline, Shane had a lot of great insights on this that I want you to hear. So we're going to kind of have a uh, a discussion like we had Thursday morning just about this inside your bulletin. You'll find an outline we're going today. Um, it's part of a series that we've entitled Paramount. And the idea behind Paramount is these are the things that are most important. Now, why a place that produces movies would claim to be the most important, I don't know. But anyway, uh, the idea in this is over the next, this week and the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about three things that are most important to us. If you hang around Centerpoint, any amount of time, you're going to hear these three things over and over again because they matter to us so much. And the first one is this. Today, what we're talking about is experiencing abundant life. We're also going to be talking about developing meaningful relationships and embracing your purpose in the next couple of weeks. But Shane, it's really important we talk about this whole business of embracing abundant life because sometimes in the Christian life, people think that uh, abundant life, maybe it begins when you get to heaven or something, but living the Christian life here is kind of sorry. Yeah, and that's the last thing we want people to understand because you said it's kind of, we might have life, we might have it to the full. It's not something that just begins after we die. It's something that begins right now. And we're going to talk a lot about that because when God talks about eternal life, it's not just a quantity of life, you know, that it just never ends. It's a quality of life. God alone is eternal. And that is the most incredible thing to realize is that we are spiritually dead. And then God gives us this incredible source of life. And yet we walk around with a gift that we don't really know how to fully embrace and engage. Yeah, so today, prepare to be encouraged, okay? If you came here today saying, man, I could use some encouragement, you have come to the right shop, okay? Because that's what we're selling, and uh, that's what we're giving out today. Would you pray for us today? Yeah, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to just stop in the busyness of life, to begin our week in your presence, singing your praises, but most importantly, Lord, just acknowledging your presence. And God, asking you to open our hearts, to open our ears, to hear and to see who you are and what your will is for us and what you've done for us. So that, God, we will not be the same, that we'll be transformed to be more like you. And God, we know apart from your life, we can do nothing. And so, God, we're asking that you would help us to hear your word today. And that, as always, that John and I would, would move out of the way so that you could speak clearly through us. God, because we know this is a message that is transforming. And it's not just something we get forgiveness early on. It is, it is a message that, that allows us to have life in a way that we can never imagine every moment. And so, Lord, meet with us today because this is truth that we need not just to know. It's truth that we need to experience. And we ask that you'd help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, the whole idea that Jesus came to not just forgive us of our sins, but to bring us abundant life. I mean, that's good news, and it's really good news. And sometimes to appreciate the good news, we first have to understand the bad news. So if you look on your outline, we're going to start with some bad news, but we're not going to end there and send you home depressed. That's not the idea. Um, the idea is to present both, and, you know, it's important. It's kind of like the guy who went to his doctor and He'd been expecting some test results, and the doctor called him in and said, I got some good news and some bad news for you. And the guy said, well, well let's start with the good news. He goes, well, the good news is your lab results came back, and you only have 24 hours to live. 
And the guy goes, that's the good news? He goes, what's the bad news? He goes, we couldn't get a hold of you yesterday. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Which is bad news. Okay? It's, yeah, that's worse than he thought. Okay? And Shane, that's kind of the way it is when we talk about sin in our lives. We are aware that we're sinners. Anybody in doubt that uh, your spouse is a sinner? No, I shouldn't have. No, that you're a sinner? Anybody? Anybody in doubt that you're a sinner? It's like, I mean, no, we all know that, right? Yeah, I mean, I have, I have four children. I never once had to sit down with them and tell them, okay, this is what you do. When your brother comes in with some kind of toy, you reach for it, grab it out of his hands. When he starts crying, you hit over the head, hit him over the head with it. And when I come in to say, what's going on? You go, I have no idea. I don't know. I did not have to teach my children how to do that at all. It's something that we're all born with that bent, that nature that is just self-seeking and selfish and wants her own way no matter what's going on in the world. Right. So point one on your outline is this. Here's the bad news. Apart from Christ, we're all lost sinners who are spiritually dead. I mean, spiritually dead. And I want to unpack several dimensions of that. Spiritually dead people are hopelessly, hopelessly trapped in sin. It's not only that we know we're sinners, we can't even get out. I mean, listen to this scripture. Once you were dead, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commanders of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everybody else. I mean, following the devil spiritually dead. And it goes downhill from there. The next point is that spiritually dead people have no idea how to find abundant life. It's not only that we are sinners and stuck in sin, we don't even know how to find our way out. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. That's Ephesians 4. And in 2 Corinthians 4, he said, Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And that describes each one of us before we come to Christ, doesn't it? Yeah, and I mean, I hope you understand that when we say it's worse than you think, it really is. Because not only are we spiritually dead and we're born that way, you know, non-responsive God, not wanting anything, not even willing or desiring it. I mean, we're just cut off. But Satan has blinded our mind. We could put passage after passage from like Timothy where Paul says, Satan has taken us captive to do his will. I mean, think about it. If you're dead, you're blind, you're confused, and you're held captive, I mean, that is not a situation you think, well, let me figure it out. I know how to get out of this. And I think that's how we are in our sin. And yet sometimes we think, I know enough, I'm good enough, I, I have enough willpower, I can fix it. I can figure my way out of it. And that's just not the case. No, it's not. And in fact, there's even one more depth of how bad the bad news is, and that's this, is that spiritually dead people will spend eternity in hell. It's not only that we're stubborn and wrong and go against God's way and bring all kinds of pain and sorrow into our lives and the lives of others. It's also that we don't know where our way out and we can't get out of it on our own. And on top of that, we're destined for eternity in hell. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The book of life is the registry of all the people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus and have his life living in them. 
And if we don't have that new life, if we're stuck in sin and we're spiritually dead, that is the trajectory we're on. And that's why Jesus was sent into the world. But this is a heavy reality. I mean, Shane, we talk about hell and we say, oh, my work was hellish this week or, you know, my relationship with someone else is like a living hell, but we don't even understand what we're talking about. No, but I mean, in, in a sense, it is accurate in the fact that that's what death is, is to be totally separated from God. And, um, you know, spiritually, we see that. We see it in our everyday life where the inability to overcome sin in our life. I mean, that's what Paul says in Romans 7 that, you know, he found this principally true. The good he knew he wanted to do, he didn't do. And what he didn't want to do, he ended up doing. And why is that? Because sin lives within us. And this is Paul after he became a believer. And I think that's true of our experience. So we know what it's like to be apart from God. We also, some of us know, many of us know what it's like to come into a relationship with God, yet we still struggle with the inability to just be better, to overcome sin in our own strength. But then the reality is, if this is the trajectory of our life, that one day there will be complete separation from God for those who are apart from him. Where there will be, you know, like heaven, we'll be in the presence of God where there will only be righteousness. We'll have new bodies, new uh, desires. Everything will be perfect in alignment with God. Well, imagine the opposite of that. And that's what hell is. There will be a place where there is no righteousness. Where there's just eternity stuck, separated from God. And, you know, people get a bit taste of it when they try and live without God in this life. But it is nothing compared to what the reality will really be. And that's the bad news. The reason we've gone all the way here is because we're about to tell you some good news. Because you're going, John, you said you'd encourage me. You have depressed the fool out of me so far. Well, well, that's one of the things we, we do say. I mean, the bad news is worse than you can imagine. But the good news is better than you could ever believe. Way better. The good news is way better. Could we say that much together, please? The good news is way better. You go, I don't want to talk that way. Anyway, let's no. move on. Okay, but that's the next point. The good news Jesus came is this, that Jesus came to bring us abundant life. Abundant life. John 10, 10, the thief doesn't come except to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and they might have it more abundantly. And in the original language in ancient Greek there, that word abundant means over and above, more than necessary, surpassing expectations. I didn't just come to bring you a sorry life. I came to bring you abundant life. Oh my goodness, Ephesians 3.20, now all glory to God who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's within you and me, infinitely more infinitely more. I remember uh, when I was in college ministry a long time ago, uh, worked uh, as a college minister, and there was a, at Fraser Methodist in Montgomery, and there was a young man who was a part of our student ministry in high school. He went off to college, and while he was there, he became the chug-a-lug champ at his fraternity, and his parents brought him home after his first semester because he got a 1.0 GPA. Um, but apparently he was terribly popular because he could, you know, drink like three dozen beers and stay standing somehow or something like this. Well, anyway, they brought him home. And how I found out about all this is his dad brought him to my office. And he said, John, you know, I want you to know this is our son. You know, you know him from the student ministry here. Well, and he explained the whole situation. 
And so we're going to be sending him to AA every week. And we determined, too, we need to have some meaningful punishment to him to help straighten him out. So we're going to assign him to work with you 10 hours a week. (laughs) No comment. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. You know, it just warmed my heart. Anyway, uh, he said, I said, what do you want him to do? He said, well, just let him help you in college ministry and stuff. And so his dad left, and I sat there and talked to this young man. And I said, okay, so I'm going to include you in everything we do. You're going to help me plan events. You're going to help me run events. You're going to help me lead Bible studies for college students. And he goes, okay, you know, and all this. Because he didn't think that anything we would do would be good. Well, fast forward about 13, 14 weeks. His time is up. Time served. He was good. He honored all 10 hours a week. He would work with me every week. And um, I remember we talked when the time was up. He said, John, I'm going to stay helping you anyway. And I said, well, why is that? And he goes, he said, when we started this out, you may not have been able to tell, but I wasn't happy to be here. (laughs) I said, oh, I figured it out. Anyway, uh, (laughs) but what's funny was he said, he said, I don't need alcohol to experience joy in my life. He said, I've experienced more happiness and joy in my life than I ever have before. He goes, I mean, this is amazing to me. He said, being around you and around other Christians and reading the Bible and praying, it's like God has become real to me. His whole life changed. He never even went back to that school, stayed and went to school at AUM and other things. And he was tragically killed a few months later in a car crash. But you know what I could say at his funeral? He had abundant life. He was one telling me I was wrong. I thought being chug-a-lug champ at my fraternity where everybody's going, go, 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 go. That that's what life was all about. And he said, this is the real thing. Please hear this today. I mean, Shane, we're not selling used no. stuff. This yeah. is real. Yeah, because I mean, just even the idea that this person thought, well, we need to bring some punishments. It wasn't just working with John. It was like, we're <laughs> yeah. going to get him involved yeah, in thanks church. thanks for bailing me out. Thank you. You know, we're, we're going to help straighten him out. The fact that the life that God has is somehow not as incredible as what God says. But that, you know, it's just all dreary and saying no to fun. And that's what a lot of people have, their outlook. And what we want to understand is Christianity is not just about sinning less. And it's not just about sin management. We'll talk about that. But you know, the Bible says that the wages of sin or the penalty of sin is death. When God looks at us and death is our real need, he doesn't just say, well, you just need forgiveness. He says they need life. And that is the most important thing that so often we're going around and we're telling a good message, but we're not telling the message as as big as it is. We're dealing with little symptoms and not going right to the cause. And that's what God wants us to know, that yes, he's forgiven us, but I don't know about y'all, I needed a whole lot more than forgiveness in my life. Mm-hmm. I needed purpose. I needed joy. I, needed a, I didn't need just more willpower. My willpower couldn't do it. I needed a whole new source that began to ex- where I began to experience life on a whole different level. And the fact is, is that's not just for the super spiritual. That is the birthright for every child of God, for every single one of us. We can have a quality of life that people just go, that's not dreary. I want that. I want what you have. And it's, we can't have it apart from him because he is life. Yeah, one of my favorite pictures of that young man who passed away, we'd had a bowling party with some other college students. We had the bowling party, and he is just laughing uproariously because... 
it was somebody had made some, you know, terrible shot or something like this. And he's just laughing and stuff. And he was having joy, no alcohol involved, nothing that he thought he had to have. But he was having genuine fellowship with brothers and sisters. I mean, praying, living in community with other people who love the Lord. The real thing. So here's, we gave you a couple of understandings of a couple of dimensions of what it meant to be spiritually dead. Here are a couple of understandings of what it means to have abundant life. First of all, abundant life is new life. It's new life. Listen to Colossians 2. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But listen to this. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that was uh, Colossians 2. This is 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And Shane, this is more than just getting a fresh start, right? Yeah. This is, when we come to, to Christ, yes, our sins get forgiven, but it is not just getting a fresh start or a do-over to now where since we know better, we can try to do better. Yeah, I forgave your sins. Don't do it again. Yeah, and now you know the rules. Before you didn't know any better, but now you do, and just try and do better. I mean, we've tried. I don't know about you. My whole life was, try was trying to do it that way. Constantly, rededication, trying harder, promising God, I'll do better, I'll do better, but yet still struggling. Because anytime you put these rules, these laws, these principles, what they do is they reveal sin within us. And that's why God says, that's not the way that you have my life experienced in you. You don't focus on trying to control your flesh. You surrender to my life and allow my life to, to give you uh, new life. And, and that's exactly what it is when it says, when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Because apart from Christ, that's all we were. It was just us and our own natural abilities and our own desires. That's all we had whether it was to do as bad as we wanted or even to try to do as well as we could. But now when you're in Christ, you're something new. It's not just you and your best efforts and a renewed pro thinking or view outlook on life. This is now you with the life of God. This is something that never existed before until you came into a relationship with Christ. Because he has placed his Holy Spirit within us. That's how all this is possible. That brings us to the next thing. Not only is abundant life new life, abundant life is fruitful life. Jesus told his disciples, look, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, if you stay connected to me, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, you couldn't do it before. You won't be able to do it now. And what Shane's talking about here is that here's what's so great. We come to Christ and we realize, hey, I can't do these things on my own. Well, he gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And if we just stay connected to him, then we keep growing. And not only do we keep growing, but he bears fruit in our lives where we can actually be a blessing to others. That young man, not only did his life change, but he was able to pray for others and encourage them. The guy who a semester before had been a chug-a-lug champ, wasn't thinking about anybody but himself, was now caring about other people. And that's amazing. But it wasn't because he was trying harder. It was because he just surrendered to the Lord and stopped trying to do it on his own. 
And if it's wonderful news to you this morning that if we surrender our lives completely to Jesus, every part of our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit, that he will work in and through us, then would you say amen? amen. amen. I mean, this is good news. It's, it's amazing. Look what he produces in our lives. He produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are things that we all want and we can't just try harder. These are things that he grants us when we come to him every day and say, God, would you fill me? God, would you change me? God, would you make me into the person you want me to be? You're working in my life, healing me and changing me. I mean, this is what we want everybody yeah. to experience. I, I think what John read in John 15, five, that last part, apart from me, you can do nothing. I think sometimes it takes us a long time to really believe that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't speak for you. It took me a while because I kept trying and trying. And, and I always kept thinking it was about managing my sin, just doing better. And I put the focus, I always say this saying, I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You know, I was focusing on the wrong thing. You don't become more godly focusing on how to keep sin down in your life. You allow the life of God to become more in your life when you become more dependent upon him. You know, Jesus talked about this in John 5 and 6 where he's the perfect son of God. He had no sin in his life. And yet he told the religious leaders, the son of man can do nothing on his own. He didn't just say we couldn't do anything. He even said he could do nothing apart from the life of God within him. And so when we are following Jesus, when we're becoming like Jesus, it's learning not to just sin, to be perfect like he was. It's learning to live in dependence upon the spirit just like Jesus did. That's what it means to follow him. Abundant life is new life. Abundant life is fruitful life. Abundant life is eternal life. Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. The end of that psalm, surely goodness and unfailing love, verse 6. Surely goodness, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is what you were talking about before, Shane. Abundant life doesn't begin the day we die. Okay, in heaven we'll have abundant life right here. Now, being a Christian is really pretty lame. I mean, the non-Christians are having all the fun. We got to go to church and hang out with John Schmidt. Mm. (laughs) Man, that came out heavy. Anyway, the whole idea. uh, I think they're afraid to laugh. Yeah, I was going to say. Don't want to hurt his feelings. (laughs) There's some truth in that. Okay, but... But I want you to know that when David wrote Psalm 23, he said, I'm going to have goodness and mercy all the days of my life here, and I'll live forever in heaven, forever and ever. And that's good news. It's great news. Because again, when we start talking about eternal life, I don't know about you, but I, I learned John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Mm. You know, and it had that idea of it just goes on forever. But it's really the word eternal And see, the souls of men and women, we're going to exist forever somewhere. But we have a definite beginning. When something's eternal, it means it has no beginning or no end. And only God is eternal. So when it says that that we are giving eternal life, it's again getting back to that picture. He's giving us his very life. It's a quality of life. A life different than anything that you and I can produce in our own effort and strength. Yeah, and so all the promises of heaven, though, are true, too. In heaven, we'll, I mean, here we can experience it in Christian fellowship and in worship and our growing relationship with the Lord. In heaven, 
we won't even have the temptations of this world. The devil will be thrown into the lake of fire. And so this is a glimpse of heaven. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. This is John getting a glimpse of what heaven will be like. God will live with him there, live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, and all these things are gone forever. And we have the Holy Spirit as a foretaste, but it's going to get even better. And this is why we're telling you, abundant life, the bad news is really, really bad. The good news is really, really, really good. And we got to emphasize a couple of things one more time, though. Abundant life is not possible through, through religious rule keeping or sin management, which depends upon our own strength. Does everybody understand what we're talking about here? We have to depend on him. And I can't do this on my own. And this is so important for us. This is the reason why we're doing this series, Paramount. Because there's a lot of people. we got a new facility. They're coming to check out who we are, to hear. And we want you to know right from the beginning what is most important to us. So for everybody who's new here to us, these three things that we're going to be talking about, this one is most important. Because a lot of us have tried church. We've tried religion. We've tried to get better. And we realize we still continue to have the struggles and guilt and shame keeps heaping on our lives because we feel like we can't, we know better, so we should be able to do better. But yeah. that's not our problem when it comes to sin. It's not just about we have a willpower problem or that we have a knowledge problem. We have an inability in and of ourselves. And so it says in Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23, Paul writes, he says, you've died with Christ. Now, that's wonderful. Our penalty, everything's been paid for. Christ has done that. And he has set us free from the spiritual powers of this world. What those spiritual powers of this world are, are just rule keeping. It's religion. If you do this, then God will do that. And that's how we use those rules to try and keep our flesh and our life in, in line with what God wants. But that's powerless. Listen to this. It says, you've died with Christ. He set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But listen to this. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires, in changing our sinful nature. Those outside rules can't change our heart. And this is why it's important because in life when I... I knew I was a sinner at an early age. I asked Jesus to come in my heart. I got baptized because I knew I needed Jesus to forgive me. But then when it came to live for Jesus, they said, well, here are these rules. Don't, don't watch R-rated movies. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't do all these other types of things. But the fact is, is that they never changed my heart. All they kept doing is revealing the areas when I would fall and when I would struggle, which then just made me feel more guilty and more condemned, and I finally got to a place, am I even a Christian? But it doesn't matter what the rules are because in our flesh, they, they require strong devotion. It makes us feel like we're really living for God. But what God wants to do is he wants to live for us, and he wants to live in us, and he wants to live through us. And I didn't understand that. I was so busy trying to live for God in my own strength that I never saw the results because I was just trying to follow rules. And the last thing we want is for people to come here and say, you need Jesus, but the way you really experience him is following rules because that is not how you experience the life of Christ. 
Yeah, but here's the great news. And it's the last point I want to bring up. Abundant life is possible through a personal relationship with Jesus. Because when we stay connected to him, the Holy Spirit changes our desires. And he gives us the power to do things we could never do before. I remember that was the, one of the biggest things that changed in my life. I grew up on a farm in Kansas. And a lot of the people on the farms out there were not known for their flowery Christian speech. Let's just put it that way. Um, in fact, I knew some people who cussed the wallpaper off a wall. Anyway, uh, I had a lot of profanity in my head and in my habits and other things. And I remember trying to straighten that out on my own. And then I remember talking to a Christian. They said, well, you need to surrender that. Surrender that? Yeah. You need to acknowledge that you cuss a lot and that your tongue is foul. You got a foul mouth and you need to let God change you. You can't do it on your own. And he was right. Because every time I tried to quit cussing on my own, and make, I'd try for a while and get some mad I'd cuss. I mean, we're just stuck. But who's going to free me from this? Well, the Lord Jesus. Listen to this. For God loved the world so much, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's what Shane was talking about, the life of God himself living in him. I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You can't do it on your own. You got to depend on me, and you got to stay connected to me because the Christian life is a process. But here's the good news. When we were utterly helpless, Romans 5, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners, knowing that we were sinners, knowing we couldn't do it on our own. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person. Someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we're still sinners, stuck in our sin, unable to help ourselves. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he'll certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Could we read that last sentence out loud where it starts with, so now? Could we read that together, please? So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. I don't have to be afraid of God. I don't try to have to earn his approval. I don't have to try to prove anything. I come to him and say, I know you died for me while I was a filthy, rotten sinner. And Lord, you know I can't do this on my own. I'm dependent on you. Give me the desire. Give me your desires so they become my desires. Because then it becomes a joy to keep God's commandments. I mean, right? Yeah, and I think that's important because even in that it says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. You know, we had something separating us from God, our sin. And his death removed that and it restored us. It reconciled us to him. But it goes on to say that we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Now there's something else he does for us as well. He, he died to make us right, but now he gives us his life so we can experience a relationship with him and ha experience the life, the abundant life that he wants us to have. It's a gift, just like forgiveness. His life is a gift. So I think there's a couple of responses today. First is, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, this would be a great day to do it. I mean, we need a savior. I mean, we're spiritually dead and you can't save yourself on your own. You can't be good enough to earn your way into heaven. I mean. We both have met with people who are facing a, a chronic illness and a bad diagnosis, and they say, well, I just hope I've done enough to earn my way into heaven. 
and we both have the bad news to be able to tell them, well, I'm sure you haven't. You haven't, neither have I. It's all by grace. But it's not just that. We're not good enough to live the Christian life on our own either. We're not, neither are you. And so we surrender that too. We surrender our sins and we surrender our lives, every part of our lives. And then every day, little by little, God changes us. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just, this is paramount. This is what's most important. If we don't understand this, we're never going to get any of this right. And so, Lord, first of all, I just want to pray for somebody, for anybody here today who's never surrendered their life to you. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, would you pray with me right now? Oh, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I don't need anybody to tell me that. But Lord, I need your help. I cannot, I thank you that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins, and there are many. I accept your forgiveness, and I give me my filthy, rotten, sinful life to you. Wash my sins away. I surrender my life to you. I want to be adopted into your family and be your child. I also want to pray here this morning for someone. You are a Christian, but you've been beat up and you've been trying to earn God's approval and just one more try. And today you've understood that God gives help and you don't have to do this in your own strength. And maybe for the first time in your life, you realize that, that this is what the Holy Spirit does for us and in us and through us. And so would you pray with me too? Oh, Lord Jesus, today I surrender my whole life to you. Lord, I know you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, I'm grateful for that. But Lord, I need you to heal the deep wounds in my heart. Lord, I need you to change me from the inside out. And so, Lord, I surrender my temper to you. I surrender my tongue. I surrender my finances. I surrender the things I've done well, the things I've done poorly. I surrender my whole life to you, Lord. Because I can't do this on my own. Please give me the desire and the power to do what pleases you. Change me, Jesus. Change me. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray these things together. Amen.